Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Yeah, I didn't realize it until we started talking, and I was talking to my buddy Tuttle here on Bleacher Blums, and I realized, I looked down at my calendar, it's it's been 12 days since we've had a podcast, and a lot of the reason for that is myself. I was AWOL for a while over the All-Star break. I went down to uh, Mexico with the family, and we hung out down in an area called Mayacoba in Mexico and had an absolute blast down there with the family on our little vacation in the middle of summer what was what's great about having these midsummer vacations in tropical destinations is is you pretty much have the resort to yourself because not too many people like the challenge of going to a resort and paying a lot of money to go down there and sweat your brains out <laughs> that's what we get to do with our midsummer vacations but we had a blast down there the resort we stay at is unbelievable they take great care of us uh the girls love it and they actually requested that we go back down there for the second time so I obliged. We got down there and had a blast. Uh, luckily, I had enough sunblock to keep my pasty white skin just as pasty as I want it to be, and I didn't lobster up. My kids, on the other hand, have my wife's skin, and they're all olive tone. In about three hours, they were uh, a little bit darker than Todd Callis, which is unfair because uh, I'm sure Tuttle's in the same boat. Uh, we are fair skinned and even though living in Southern California, uh, you get beat down by the sun, but uh, our skin absorbs that sun rather, rather quickly and burns up and chars. So I, I, in my experience, I've tried to avoid that and I'm big on the, uh, the sunblock and avoiding skin cancer and I don't have skin when sunblock is on that it gets very tanned. But the bleachers are open and we are back on. It's always good to be back. So much has happened. There's been an all-star break. There were all-star games, home run derbies, um, not too many trades going on a couple of the other day with Homer Bailey and Martin Maldonado last night, but uh, it's been pretty pretty uh, mundane here of late. I know that uh, Tuttle's been having a good time, and it's but it's been 12 days since I've even talked to Tuttle because uh, we've both been going our separate ways with vacations. I know he was on a trip up north last time we were chatting it up, but uh, Tuttle, man, let's bring you in and see how things are going. I am actually, and bring Tuttle in. We have to get this out of the way. I think I'm what, 15 minutes from you right now? Yet yeah, 15 to, minutes. Cannot get together to do a face-to-face podcast because I left the, the necessary equipment at home uh, because of logistical issues. My brain was in two places at once. Before I left for the All-Star break, I had to send my suits and baseball uh, attire with the team and then I packed my Mexico vacation bag with my Speedos and my silk shorts and my linen, linen shirts to Mexico and completely forgot about packing like legitimate face-to-face interview style equipment. So Tuttle and I are 15 minutes away from each other and doing a podcast in Southern California in the same time zone, in the same county, almost the same city. But how are you doing, Tuttle? I'm doing great. It's it's as if we were uh, three thousand miles apart, except in the same time zone. I guess the other thing I was gonna. Yeah, we want to keep the same. Vibe, yeah, well, huh? sure we do. I also realized the priority that the uh, podcast takes in your life, with uh, the Mexico bag and the suit bag, and that like, hey, all I got to do is throw a microphone in my suitcase, and I can't remember to do that. But you know, until we get that selfie, we got to go have a beer or a coffee. Then people will think that we still. Uh, just pretend to care about each other, but I'll live there. Uh, the vacation that I took was 
scarily, uh, scarily, that's not a word, uh, the opposite of what you tip. So San Francisco, as you know, the coldest, uh, or the, uh, yeah, that's right. The coldest one I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco, little June, July gloom. So you were down in Mexico worried about getting sunburnt and I packed clothes for San Jose and San Francisco. Cause I was going to be spending time in both. And it's like packing for a winter and summer vacation all at once. You know, I brought the little North face vest and a flannel and a beanie for a uh, eight o'clock walk in the city of San Francisco and then uh, shorts and swim trunks for uh, visiting my mom in San Jose. So, but I do have the same issue as you. We have one, uh, one of my daughters gets tan. That's from my dad's side of the family, the Tuttle side. My wife, myself, and my other two children, we got to hide from the sun. Big hats, a lot of sunblock, you know, and the worst are those days, kind of like we're talking about in San Francisco where it's overcast. So I put on my flannel, got my North Face vest on, put on the beanie, and then I had a cup of coffee and I walked around for two hours and my son, uh, my son, my nose was bright red, <laughs> like that. <laughs> the only thing that was exposed to the sun and here we go. So anyway, but very different vacations, but we enjoyed them. And uh, now we're back on the Bleacher Blums podcast. Yeah, and it's been good. I know that it's a summer vacation. I hope everybody else out there is enjoying those trips. And if you're driving, we really hope that you download the podcast and force your family to listen to it because it's worth it. Damn it. But uh, it's been good. We see the downloads continuing. There's a little bit of a lull with the summer vacations going on, but we got no problem with that. But we also have a pretty strong contingent on Twitter that reaches out to us and implores us to get these podcasts out there. And trust me, Tuttle and I do enjoy having these podcasts out there when we can make the time. And we love talking about the sport. We love talking about sports all over the world. And uh, you can follow David Tuttle on Twitter at real David Tuttle and on Instagram at real David Tuttle. But you want to get at him on Twitter because he does a good job with that Tuttle quote of the day, the TQOD. And of course, you can follow myself, Jeff Blum at Blummer27 on Twitter and on Instagram with that same handle. It's so fun to get on there. I try to put on some pictures, but sometimes I, I check out, man, when I am not doing baseball. I have a tendency to completely check out. I apologize for that, but I took some great pictures in Mexico, and I'll try and get some of those up. Um, my wife is very good at the stories. I try to do good at the stories, but I just get kind of infatuated with the moment and trying to stick in it. Um, but I do have some pictures, and I'll try and send those out. We had a very good time down there on the beach, eating some good Mexican food and things like that. Um subscribe rate review do all that fun stuff uh the show today is going to have what'll tuttle say i don't know if we're going to go left coast left coast maybe on a little bit of something i don't know i'm, I'm not we're sure here. we're here yeah some astros updates uh i gotta figure out what i'm going to do for blum and blummer because i know tuttle's going to bring it a little bit but uh is there anything on your mind right now that you want to shoot out there tuttle or anything you want to talk about real quick yeah no i appreciate you uh letting me have the floor i was going to say a couple of things about the uh the podcast in general, I, I really enjoy doing the podcast. And sometimes, like you said, with the uh, checking in and checking out, I'm terrible at Instagram. I don't think I, I put up one picture. My Every time I put up a picture, my wife's like, do you know that people can see where you are and where they took that picture from? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. I mean, they're not going to like hunt us down. I, I don't know. But I just, I always, similar to what you just said, I, I'm not a Facebook user, but I, uh, the time that I was on Facebook was after our 20th high school reunion many years ago and hadn't seen most of the people for 18 to 20 years. And then I left the reunion and I got, you know, 
10,000 requests to be friends with these people. And they were putting pictures of the birth of their third child when I didn't even know they had a first and a second child or, <laughs> you know, their kids eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so I haven't, I haven't gotten out of the mindset that that's much different than, you know, Facebook, Instagram. But to your point, when I go on vacation, I kind of check out. When I come back, maybe now that we have the podcast, I can be a little more effective with it because you do some stories. It's always good to see what stadium you're at. Um, and I think because you keep it more baseball-related, then uh, you know I think the fans enjoy that. It's a lot different than you know taking pictures of your feet under the gazebo in, in Mexico <laughs> and whatever. You know, it's kind of like, ah, dude, not as exciting, right? Well, considering that I've got some kind of fungus growing on my big toe, I don't think anybody would want to see that buried in the sand. I'd have to put that my entire like foot underneath the sand to try and hide that that thing that was going out. My kids kept, you know, you're in the these tropical locations and you're wearing the slides or you're wearing the flip flops, and your kids come rolling by. They're like, "Ooh, Dad!" TMI, man. You were talking about fitness last time. We got blown with the boiler and the bad toe. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't know. We're that's why we're in podcast land, right? Like they're gonna take you off TV and put you on radio if you keep going downhill. Yeah, I keep bragging about my inadequacies and my de de deficiencies, and they're gonna be like, "Man, why did this guy ever get on TV?" But thank God on TV, you only see about like, you know, from the mid chest up. It's there everything else behind that that is just absolutely falling apart. Hey, we, we want to be humble, but you don't want to take self-deprecation to like a new level. Like, you know, like here's this troll like wandering around. Like, yeah, hey, I did have one. That's right. One more thing on my mind was, uh, and maybe this will lead us into some topics, was the, uh, because it related to the Astros. So I don't know if this will be a highlight, but the collision at home plate that happened while we were both on vacation this is uh, a with Marisnik. Topic, man. And LaCroix, and I, you probably addressed it on some of the broadcasts, but I missed that. So um, I don't know if you want to take that from a fan's perspective. I watched it a bunch. And as we know, maybe I'm a little more educated than, you know, from the ins and outs of baseball. And when I was playing baseball, we had full-on collisions at the plate. Like, they were allowed until Buster Posey broke his ankle. But guys would always size up the catcher and try and knock the ball out. Uh, I'm sure you can uh, address that part as well. But to me... In the speed of the game, it's kind of like the rule in football that I, I do not like now where they're throwing guys out for targeting. You know, they're running full speed and they're doing this. And they're like, well, and you can kind of tell when guys are targeting, you know, to decapitate a guy and, and dislodge the ball versus whether they're trying to make a good football play. Like, oh, I got I to gotta get to the spot before he does. And so to me, in the speed of that, and of course they slow it down and they do, you know, like, ultra slow-mo and the 4d angle and the this but it just like marisnik wanted to go to the outside and lacroix kind of leaned towards the plate even though he wasn't blocking it so it looked like the ball is going to the outside so then marisnik leaned back inside and lacroix was standing there it just it happens so quick and maybe the mlb powers that be just said all right somebody has something has to happen as a result of this so they had to suspend him but it just felt like you know, an accident, which happens. So in basketball, it's kind of like, well, I didn't foul him on purpose. So it's still a foul. But I don't know. I mean, he was obviously uh, showed a lot of contrition right there, super apologetic, concerned about LaCroix. And I don't think it was an incident where he 
where he went in and crushed him and then was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I, it just looked like he kind of went this way and that way, and it was an accident. So I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but it, it, I don't know if it warranted a two-game suspension or any suspension at all. You know, we do have to talk about that because that has been one of the bigger, bigger topics here in, you know, happening right before the all-star break and the, you know, the suspension that David Tuttle is talking about, but just to go back and kind of recap the play and remind everybody out there what exactly happened is, is that George Springer was at the plate, Jake Marisnik, a very fast, he is elite fast in, in major league baseball terms is on third base. And it was a shallow fly ball, a good right fielder in Cole Calhoun made the catch, made a great throw to home plate. And as Jake Marisnik is coming home, to David Tuttle's point, and he points out a great point, is the fact that I can never, watching the game and calling baseball now, I, I cannot emphasize enough how fast this game is actually moving when the ball is put in play. A guy is running 30 feet per second, and that is then keep in mind the baseline's only 90 feet. So you can do the math and figure out that it's going to take about three, three and a half seconds for that guy to get from home from third base to home home plate. And the the fielder has to catch the ball cleanly, has to make the exchange cleanly, make the throw to home plate. And meanwhile, Jake Marisnik is deciding which part of the plate am I sliding to because the rule right now says that the the uh, the catcher has to give me a path to home plate. So Jake, in his history of scoring at home plate, is a dive guy. He goes head first because he tries to go to the outside, swipe the plate with the left hand, and make himself as small as possible so that the catcher cannot tag him and he becomes safe. He's been very good at it. He's very athletic at it. So that is his mindset initially going into home plate. And Tuttle stated it right. LaCroix is not thinking about where the base runner is. He has an idea of where the plate is behind him. He understands that he has to give somewhat of a path to home plate, even though I don't think catchers really could give a crap where, where their path is to home plate. But he was in front of home plate. He saw the trajectory of the ball and the velocity of the ball and understood that he was going to have to step into the baseline. And he did. He actually put his left foot over the baseline, and that took away the outside for Jake Marisnik. And Jake decided to go to the inside. The ball hit the turf, bounced up, took a weird bounce, whatever it was, and LaCroix adjusted to the baseball, and in doing so, put himself in the path of Jake Marisnik, and I believe the way Jake hit him, even though he crushed him and knocked him out, broke his nose, you know, snapped his neck, whatever you want to call it, created a massive collision. It, it, he, they both moved into the same path at the same time, and there was only one or two steps for Jake to be able to keep his body from running into him. So I know that Jake didn't do it intentionally. LaCroix didn't put himself in that position intentionally. And the play ensued where he blew up the catcher, he was eventually called out because it was an egregious contact play at home plate, and that's how the rule reads, unfortunately. Now, that being said, and I'm with Tuttle. We grew up in the same era. We played in the same era. He watched plenty of plays at home plate. I, as a base runner, when I was playing from the minor leagues to my big league career, because I never played with that rule instituted, and this goes for plays at second base, too. When I was a runner at first base on a double play, my first instinct was, how am I going to crush this guy? Not break his legs, not bust a knee. It was how am I going to crush this guy and keep him from turning the double play? So when I made it to second base and there was a base hit, I turned third base. My first intent was hit. I was going to make, I was going to initiate contact or prepare for contact, then slide. When there was an avenue or the throw wasn't there, I, I broke it down and slid into home plate. But if there was an opportunity for contact, I knew that catcher, if he had the ball, he was coming after contact with me. So if I wasn't prepared, I was the one that was going to be hurt. That being said, 
I don't understand why Jonathan Lucroy did not have the mask on. I feel like that should be an initial reaction for every catcher at home plate with a potential play at home plate, whether it's now or historically, keep the mask on. You have all the gear. You have the protection. Use it. The second thing is, is I just go back to it happened too fast. It, it, there was not enough time for these guys to uh, get out of contact. But in, you know, Major League Baseball reviewed the tapes and said that Jake Marisnik needs a two-game suspension. But I believe in their in their initial statement, they said it was unintentional. They believe it was unintentional, but they gave him a two-game suspension. That is why Jake Marisnik is appealing the suspension. It may get knocked down to one. I believe he will be suspended because they're trying to make an example of him. But I don't know how you feel about some of those things, Tuttle. But if the unintentional suspension opens a Pandora's box of any opportunity of the league suspending guys. And that's where I think the frustration sets in. But on the other side, do you think the Angels would be upset about Jake Marisnik appealing that? Yeah, I don't really know. I I, I think it'd be interesting to hear Jonathan LaCroix now. I mean, I think this kind of relates all the way back to a couple podcasts when we talk about the umpire and AJ Hinch going at it, like behind closed doors, the umpire, I think you touched on the fact that he called him and apologized or, you know, whatever the back channeling is, it'd be interesting to see or speak with LaCroix. Now that Marisnik's been suspended two games or reduced to one or, you know, whatever the suspension ends up being, it'd be interesting to hear LaCroix, publicly say oh yeah you know i know he didn't do it on purpose or and and i can think of a few situations one is like when we punish your kids right you punish your kids sometimes when there's intent well you're you know you're doing this on purpose you broke the rule whatever maybe there is a scenario where um you know they ran out in the street without looking and that wasn't intentional and oh my gosh something happened not not that they got hit by car but you know you're you're trying to reinforce the fact that they need to look both ways before they run in the street but they did it nothing happened nobody got hurt but then you still feel like all right i've got to punish you because so i i think it's interesting that mlb says all right well we know you didn't do it intentionally but because of the outcome we have to punish you. And maybe that's where they reduce it to one game. The way I look at it, though, and and that's where I think the tone of the articles and the tone of the feedback should be. Have you nowadays, especially with cell phones, been walking in a mall or a grocery store and you're walking and someone's coming towards you and they're and you look, they look up at the last minute, you move to the left, they move to let you move to the right. You've bumped into people. Right. And like you said, we're not going 30 feet per second and you still kind of go shoulder to shoulder with someone or you bump into them and you both apologize and you both go your own way uh, you know obviously this is a little bit different but i, I find that kind of to me that's what that play looked like you already kind of got into it you've seen the replay but that's what it looked like his left foot went in the baseline mariznik was going to go to the outside so then the ball bounced off the turf funny so he kind of went back to his right that's like just like walking in the mall you know you're like i moved to the left i moved to the right and some you bump into some lady who wasn't paying attention i don't know i i just think maybe there is a place for suspension now that we've talked it out i just feel like the the tenor of the conversation should be you know Marisnik didn't do it on purpose. LaCroix should have probably had his mask on. Um, he didn't really do anything wrong. And what a crummy play it was, right? What a uh, what a bad luck play it was. Yeah, unfortunately, it was a terrible outcome because of the injury LaCroix is going to have. I believe he's had a surgery and he's having another surgery here in the next couple of days if he hasn't had it already. And he's the update on him is he's going to be out for another three weeks. 
So he's missing a large portion of the season for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And that's unfortunate. But uh, there was also rumor, and I want this is another interesting thing for Tuttle because we both played in an era where the uh, the quote unquote unwritten rules were enforced, where pitchers were asked to throw at guys at certain times. And uh, this is a situation where you might expect a retaliatory hit by pitch if Jake Marisnik gets in there against uh, the the Angels. And I'm sure if Jake were to be hit, he might take take the hit by pitch and go, okay, that's it. It's over. And that's literally all it would take, amazingly enough, is he would understand that retro- retribution was taken for the slide, putting a guy on the DL, and everybody tips their cap and we move on. But I believe, and I'm not sure I'd have to look into this a little bit, but I believe in this series, both teams were warned before the series started by Major League Baseball and the umpiring crew. So that being said, say uh, today, I believe, or, uh, today's the 16th, uh, Tuesday. And I believe Andrew Heaney, a left-handed pitcher, is going to be pitching for the Angels. So that would tell me that Jake Marizic has a real opportunity to be in the lineup. Now, In if there were no warnings issued, like I just said, and Jake Marizic was hit, he would go to first base, we would move on and play the game of baseball, and everything would be fine. And now, with the warnings being issued before this series and everybody moving through the series – you look at it and you say, okay, the Angels go, I don't want to lose my guy to suspension. So, because it's already been said, if you hit a guy and warnings have been made, you're going to get suspended. So, they don't want to lose Andrew Heaney. Andrew Heaney is going to pass off the next four games and we're just going to play baseball. When the Angels come to Houston and there's no warnings issued, guess what happens? They're going to hit him anyways. So, why do we have to wait? Why don't we just go ahead and get it out of the way? I know that's a, t- that's a real tough subject for guys who have played, but the umpires don't know any better. Yeah, no, I would agree. And we've said this before about, you know, I, I think that used to be the, the, the cat call for every umpire. Like, you know, have you ever played the game? You know, I mean, no, they umpire. But uh, I think we're talking about the merger of old school and new school. That's where we're at right now. And there is always that line because the media, especially more so than umpires, um, the umpires may not have played the game, but many of them understand the game, at least from a rule standpoint. The media not so. The media can be uh, lost on both counts. Never played the game and easy, don't easy. understand. Hey, hey. Well, do you consider yourself that kind of media? Come on, you're a commentator. I know, I know exactly what you mean. That's that's what's yeah. funny. It's like, uh, you know, are you media? I'm like, well, well, technically, but not really. You have a media pass, but you know, <laughs> the only way you could get Jeremy Reed and Brad Osmus to talk to you is because you're one of their old teammates, not because you're yep. you got a media pass. I mean, that's the way that rolls, and that's that's kind of the inside knowledge you have. But to my point, this is a merger of old school, new school. So there might be some governance by new school. But the old school uh, rules still apply. And I think you brought up an awesome point, which is if an angel pitcher hits, how about this? We both know the old school rules, hits Marisnik right in the front of the hip, right? Like the way he's supposed yeah. to hit him. Even Marisnik understands that, look, I, I crushed their catcher. He's out almost a month. I didn't do it on purpose, but hey. You know, wearing one on the hip and taking first base is exactly how we used to settle the score. And now I can just see, like you said, that just getting lost. Like Heaney gets thrown out. Marisnik makes a big deal about it if he's new school. And then the teams talk about it. Now, you know, guess where the media goes? Like, anyway, it just <laughs> it just goes down this crazy road when, like you said, all of this stuff was kind of an unintentional and certainly an unintended consequence of a play happening lightning fast. And, and obviously, you know, uh, you know, a, a, an unintended consequence, I guess. Yeah, it was a tough play all the way around, but I really feel like 
uh, David and I got a good handle on what that play was. We understand it from both sides. Uh, nobody wants to see anybody put on the DL for getting hit like Jonathan LaCroix, but it was one of those unfortunate circumstances. And, uh, you know, and I, I've got to be honest, you know, Tuttle's got a little more of an objective opinion. Mine's a little more subjective because I'm around Jake on a daily basis. And uh, he's a SoCal guy, so that we have a lot in common. So I've gotten to know him, and he's a great dude. And we even talked it about talked about it again yesterday. And he he just you know really wanted to reinforce the fact that I did not have much time to think about it, and my intention was to to dive into home plate. But when you're a guy who's diving into home plate, and you have to adjust mid stride, and then he saw contact coming, so he didn't completely lay out in the dive, and it turned into a shoulder bashing of the face. But uh, an unfortunate circumstance uh, in the sense that Jonathan Lucroy is going to be on the DL or IL, I apologize, the injured list for the next three weeks. But um, a, a good topic of conversation, and I'm not sure if you saw it yesterday, but there was actually a situation in the Cleveland Indians Detroit Tigers game. Um, I have a link that I might try and put in our show notes that it shows a really good replay of a catcher in a similar situation where the runner was going to the outside, the catcher was set up inside, but the throw took him to the outside. He blocked the plate with only two steps to go. And the runner actually just did a nosedive into the, into the front of the catcher, jamming hands, necks. I mean, it, it's, it's bad for everybody, but something needs to be figured out. And the interpretation of that rule is terrible. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I just, you know, we're old school. And so we've seen the full on collisions. And I, you know, I kind of like where it's gone in terms of the safety of the players. I mean, that's, you know, no, that, a, that's an important point. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And it is all about preserving the players and their careers and keeping them on the team so that they can play. Yes, I, I'm with you in that sense that uh, taking care of the players and trying to protect them the best you can is important. Well, and I was thinking more about second base because even when I was in high school and college, when I got to run bases or play, you know, a position which didn't last very long. But, you know, the goal was how could you like your fingernail still touch the bag when you want to go clear, you know, clean the guy's clock, as you said, you want to do it cleanly. You weren't trying to blow his knee out or anything, but you were supposed to flip that guy to keep it from a double play. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think the mentality is the same. I'm going to run as hard as I can towards second base. I'm just going to go into the base hard, right? You see that with a later slide or something like that. So the guy's mentality can be similar, which is, hey, I got to prevent this double play, but it's not going in, you know, spikes high or, you know, six feet laid out, like trying to, you know, trying to clip the guy who's on the outfield grass. And I think that's for the safety of the player. And I think we both agree. All right, play hard, go in hard, but do it the right way. And, and that's what brought up the conversation, which was why I think Marisnik was trying to do it the right way, and that was just a bang-bang play. I didn't see the Indians play, so if you get that in the show notes, that'd be interesting. But again, you know, we're not anti-player safety. I don't think we're, when we say old school, new school, this isn't a, a point of saying, you know, back in my day, the way it happened was, you know, that's not, that's not the intent. But I, I don't know. I think punishing a guy for an accident is, you know, that's where the gray area is. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a tough part that Jake Marizic's going to have to deal with. And the league's going to look at it again. They're probably going to listen to his side of the story. They're going to watch the video and try and evaluate the situation. But uh, there was definitely an opportunity for them to make an example of the collision because we haven't really seen a legitimate blow up at home plate like we did with that. But uh, LaCroix, without the mask on, took the brunt of it in the face, and he will be back in three weeks. And with that being said and getting that uh, quality conversation out of the way, you know what time it is. 
I know I want Tuttle to sit back, stretch out, get loose, get that power bar in him, and be ready for this one because it is time now for What'll Tuttle Say? All right, we got a couple topics today. We're back to the two topic specialty. One uh, serious and one not so serious. I don't know how serious this is, but one rant, I guess I can say. So the first topic in what'll Tuttle say today is the uh, reference to the uh, robot umpires that they implemented in the Atlantic League. And um, I, I, I'm going to go a little off on a tangent and tell everybody that I did watch Ooh. the Wimbledon final, at least the last hour of the five set marathon between Federer and Djokovic. But uh, they, they do a really good job with the, uh, the technology. They give a couple challenges and boom, they show whether the ball hit the line or, or not. Um, so that, that's a, an, an area where the robot is uh, used effectively and quickly and, um, you know, kind of gets the, I don't know, gets the call right. And, and I don't know if tennis is such a different sport than baseball, but those guys seem to uh, accept the outcome right away. Um, baseball, I, I don't see how we can use a robot umpire. I really don't see with the speed of the game. And, and the question it brought to mind as I was reading the article was why did we start playing games in the first place? This competition, right? Back in, you know, caveman times, back in the Greek, uh, the Greek times when the Olympics started. I think we, we started playing, uh, for a couple things. I mean, you know, men, right? The spirit of competition. I'm better than you are. And, you know, I can, I can impose my will on you. And um, and then the sportsmanship came in, and but I think we start playing because it's enjoyable. It's a break from you know either the monotony or the reality of every day, and uh, and then we appreciate the skill that all these guys have. I think you brought it up last week with the uh, Tyler Skaggs tragedy, but you know we're all just human beings. You know, some people have uh, skills in certain areas, and some people have skills in other areas. But sports has always been um, a great outlet for. Uh, for the American, uh, I don't know, for the American history, I guess. And I just think, I don't know. I don't think the intent is to get every call robotically, scientifically correct. I don't think that's the benefit of the game. And I, I you know, I don't know enough. I saw goal line technology in the world cup, uh, the women's world cup. I've seen it in a few other, uh, venues where they use the, whether the ball crossed the line or not. The offsides are trying to use it with uh, offsides in soccer. The tennis, it seemed to be implemented pretty well. But I don't know. Maybe this is just – we just talked about old school, new school. But I, 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 I'm having an issue with – could you imagine like a 3-2 count in the World Series with the bases loaded and the umpire calls ball four and the teams are like, you know, running up and down. They clear – they oh, no, no, we're going to review the pitch. Oh, no, it's strike three. They punch him out based on the computer. And now it goes back the other way. I just – I think the intent, and correct me if I'm wrong, the intent of replay was to get egregious calls correct and to kind of speed up the play of the game, right? It's like, oh, yeah, they got that one right or they got that one wrong. Let's go. Let's make the decision and go. I, I shouldn't say the intent was to speed up play of the game. The intent was to get the call right and then move forward with the game. And that's what tennis has that other sports don't have. I mean, basically, those guys challenge it. Ten seconds, they show the replay of where the ball hit on the line. It was out or in. And then they're on to the next point. And I, I just don't see, I mean, can you imagine a scenario where it would be beneficial to kind of implement a robot umpire that's second guessing or there's a time delay? Uh, the example I just brought up, like one team thinks they've won the World Series, they mob the field, then they have to clear it. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, see, I don't see a benefit. 
and I don't understand why we're going down this road. Yes, we're moving the mound back a little bit. Yes, we're we're putting a robot umpire in place, but how how would this benefit Major League Baseball if this got implemented? I guess that's a question. I'd love to hear your take on the robot umpire and where where this can go. Since I know you're now an analytics guy, right? <laughs> Yeah, but I like the numbers that, you know, my idea of analytics are, are trying to tell a story because that's what I'm trying to do now in the broadcast booth is try and tell a story. You know, even if a guy has soft contact and gets a hit, I want to tell a story how that became a hit, why it became a hit. And, uh, you know, it's even better when the ball's hit hard because it actually puts a speed to the velocity of a ball off the bat. So it's a lot of fun for me to talk about that or explain why a guy is as good as he is or maybe what he can do better. But the robot umpiring is a little bit of a concern to me. And it actually brings up a question, you know, at what point, you know, because there's so much weight, like you brought up the World Series, and it's just such a good point, because during the regular season, you're playing 162 games. It's not that you're throwing away one game, but you're it, it's one game out of 162. So your reaction to that is going to be a little bit less as opposed to a World Series. Now, if you implement rules in the regular season, they're going to have to be implemented in the postseason. And obviously, the gravity of the situation increases which eat with each round of playoffs that you get into. And that's where the question kind of pops up. Where do you sacrifice that? Or will, that, will there be a sacrifice to the integrity of the game or the integrity of the, the situation? Because I have an issue. Technology is black and white. Technology it doesn't adjust to doesn't adjust as well to the height of a hitter, to the reaction of the pitch, you know. And there's certain limits in watching what just happened in the Atlantic Atlantic League with that robot strike zone. You know, there are so many questions for me, and it, and it actually had a hiccup. There's an article on the Athletic. I know it's a pay website, but uh, um, there was an article in the Athletic that kind of went you know, covered a bunch of different angles on the strike zone. But the one that jumped out to me was it blacked out. It, they, were, they lost connection for an inning. So all of a sudden you're reverting back to the human element. You know, what? and that guy's not going to – he's going to try and call the same zone, but he's not going to call the same zone. He's a human being. And I think that's kind of the interpretation that I enjoy about having umpires back there is um, the ability to be able to manipulate the strike zone or pitch to a different strike zone. So you've got the technology who's that's going to lose contact uh, as far as you know communication between the umpire and who's making the calls on balls and strikes. Um, you can't. I'm having an issue trying to figure out where the damn strike zone is to begin with. They say they calibrate it to the height of the hitter. Now, if I am if I'm six foot four standing static in the batter's box, is that my strike zone? Or is that strike zone going to adjust when I take a stride and I actually get down to about 5'10"? You know, if I'm a guy, if I'm Jeff Bagwell and I stand at six feet, which is a little egregious, <laughs> if he listens to this podcast, he'll probably yell at me for that one. But, you know, say I'm a six foot Jeff Bagwell and I get into my Jeff Bagwell stance, all of a sudden I'm 5'5". Five five. You know, is, it is there such a thing as a six foot Jeff Bagwell? Is that what the question <laughs> you're asking me? Is it like 5'10 and a half? I've never met him and now he's going to yeah. punch me in the lip. Yeah, anyway. well, if he can get his right arm up, he'll get to it. No, I'm just Baggy's. Baggy's great. <laughs> he's had a couple of arms, shoulder surgeries, so that's why I make fun of him. But uh, no, I mean he's five ten, five eleven. But that stance you saw him in—that's not a normal, you know, upright stance. So his strike zone is going to be minimal compared to what he actually is when he stands up. And that's where some of the replays I saw with that—you know—there's a pitch down that almost hit the dirt, called strike three. And then, you know, the adjustment of the strike zone to the hitter's stance when he strides out, is that the real strike zone? 
you know, so there's, there's gray area and question marks for me in that. The other one is, and Tuttle, you could tell me your pitcher's opinion, but if I'm a hitter and a seam catches the strike zone, I'm going to be pissed if that's a strike. I want at least half the baseball in the zone. So is there an expansion on the edge of the zone? You know, because I would imagine, Tuttle, if you're, if you're good enough that day and you're manipulating the baseball the way you want, you might be able to, and you figure out where the, the, the edge of that mechanical zone is, you're going to clip that thing and you're just going to wear that damn thing out. But as a hitter, my mind is going, no, that's a ball. And there may be pitches like breaking balls that catch the, you know, just nip the bottom part of the zone and bounce. Those are going to be called strikes. So that's good. there's going to be some issues on that. Uh, the high strike, that's where the high strike, you know, does it adjust. But uh, I, I would miss the joy of arguing with the umpire. I would too. And I go back to the human element. So I think we're on the same page. I was trying to think of an analogy for baseball or football, but I don't really see one because bat or I'm sorry, basketball, basketball or football relating to baseball. And it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So I think, I guess this is where I draw the line balls and strikes. Uh, we talked about this on a uh, previous podcast as well. Balls and strikes come down to personality. Like when Joe West is behind the plate, you know what you're getting. When Tim Timmons is behind the plate, you know what you're getting. Chris Guccione's behind the plate. Angel Hernandez, who gets a bad rep, right? When he's behind the plate, you know what you're getting. Like these are different personality traits. As you mentioned, you miss arguing with the umpire. And playing year after year after year, that was a fun thing. Like, look, I've been out here every fifth day for 10 years and you've called that a strike what oh yeah man dude i'm so sorry i missed that one all right so you know the personality of the umpire uh the the you know the intention of your pitch now taking it a step further which they're doing now if there's a bang bang play at home plate i was watching miles straw you're talking about speed and he like dives at home plate and his fingers like you know touch the edge of the plate and the catcher dives and tags and the umpire calls him out. They go back and slow that down. They say, Oh no, it looks like he did beat the throw. Then he's safe versus out. That's a, I think that's a valid implementation of replay and statistics or in uh, technology, excuse me. No, you're right. But to your point, I think baseball really learned that from the NFL. Cause I, you know, you had a great point on the targeting with the NFL. I think baseball is actually watching what the NFL is doing. And now all scoring plays are going to be reviewed because those actually have an impact on the outcome. Whereas one pitch, if it's not in a two strike count, it's not going to have an impact. So I think that's a good, that's a really good point. But I still go back to the pitches in that I don't think we can turn pitches into reviewable events, like you said. So like no. you were saying, no, no. you know, the, yes, it's a two, two count, which makes it more, uh, you know, high leverage than a two O count. But, and, you know, we've seen it before an 11, nothing game and it's three O on the hitter and the guy throws one, you know, strike and the hitter looks at the umpire and everybody looks right like we're gonna try and speed this thing up it's 11 nothing like could you imagine that there's another scenario we could go scenario scenario now it's 11 nothing game and you got the robot umpire back there you're like no ball ball but you know a, a human the human element can actually help the scenario there right like oh yeah it's a strike let's go <laughs> swing the bat tommy <laughs> it's another great point yeah. yeah so anyway so i just the robot umpire thing i just if we're talking about technology, we can implement it exactly what you said. They adapted that for like the last shot in a basketball game. Was his toe touching the line? Did he get it off before the shot clock you know, expired? Uh, football, did he get both feet in? Did he have possession of the ball? Whatever it is, those kind of things. Baseball is the same thing. Did he touch home plate? You know, Did the ball go over the fence and come back in? Like Those are just reviewable things. 
balls and strikes should not have a robot calling them and they just shouldn't be reviewable. I think you're missing the point of what we started playing the game for. Well, let's just take historical references for instance. How many games over the course of a season did you say it came down to one pitch? How many times in a World Series did we see in the in the mid '80s where we went, man, if they would have just called that a strike, um, you know? But we go back and it was a oh man, it was that Don Deckinger play at first base yep. between the Cardinals and Royals, where the Cardinals end up losing that World Series and because of one play that spiraled out of control and it was an egregious call that would if if reviewed would have been overturned and we would have said okay the outcome would have been different because that actually did have an, an effect on the outcome yep. and it was a reviewable play like Tuttle is saying uh Jeffrey Mayer the the home run ball in New York against the Baltimore Orioles that Derek Jeter hit you know if you go back to replay you're going to say yeah the kid reached over the wall interfered with the ball in play we're just put everything back the guy out whatever but you very I I'm trying to think about it right now. Granted, we're under the pressure of doing a podcast, but I'd never look back at a pitch and go, oh, if you'd have just called that a strike. Well, I got one for you. LeVon Hernandez in the NLCS. Oh, Remember Greg. he punched out like 20 guys? Like, I wanted that strike zone forever. But I, I don't – a robot umpire wouldn't have necessarily helped, but that was an egregious night where he and the umpire – it was uh, Forrest Gregg, not Forrest Gregg, Greg. Eric, Eric Gregg. Eric Gregg. Forrest Gregg was a coach of the Packers. But yeah, Eric, I mean, I'll never forget that. Like he punched out 20 guys, but he was getting like a foot. I mean, a foot. You, yeah. That would have been something you would like reviewed. Like, hey. That would actually that would actually be fun if they could figure out a way to put the robot to that game. The pitches were actually that far out of the zone because I'm with you. That one was out of control. Yeah. But, that, but again, yeah. that's one game. In a seven-game series, you know, you're able to fight that's back. one game. But, man, yeah, there, there is. You wouldn't want Tom Glavin, you wouldn't want to go back through his history of which, you know, no, I'm yeah. just saying, you were saying LeVon Hernandez is one game. Tom Glavin just, it was almost like, I'm going to throw it here and you better call it a strike. And he would throw it there and they would call it ball and he would throw it there again. They call it a ball. And I'm like, well, it looks like he's going to throw all the pitches there today. So I'll call him a strike, you know? And it was like, whoa, wait a second. You were calling those a ball at first inning and now he's got nine punch Yeah, outs. could you imagine if, yeah, if those guys had, got, had to get forced back in the zone? That would have been crazy. But the, the reviewable aspect that you're talking about, like if you, if you had the ability to re, you'd have to cap it. There'd have to be a limit on how many pitches you could replay because my gosh, man, every hitter would be like, replay that one, point to that one. Yeah. You know, it would have been it would be insane. Yeah. So I think we 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 beat that topic to death, but I, I think we agree too, which is, you know, a shocker, right? Same baseball era. We're old school. But I just think, you know, reviewable plays we're we're learning and that th those are beneficial to have reviewable plays. But I, I, the robot strike zone is uh is going a little too far as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there's just too many adjustments for me to be to get that thing involved, and I'm not sure how they'd be able to work that out. That'd be really interesting. Keep it going, Tuttle. All right, so uh, my uh, I'm gonna go more serious. I'm gonna forget. I was gonna mention cameo. Uh, I recorded my cameo intro about three weeks ago, and crickets. So that's the the less serious Dang. topic. But I'm not, you know, I'm not famous. I'm Dang. not blummer. You know, I just have a podcast. So. Yeah, but wouldn't it be great to get a shout out from one of the Bleacher Blums? Maybe we need to do a combo cameo. I don't know how that would happen because we're uh, never together, but uh, yeah. do a combo cameo account, get both of us on there, have the Bleacher Blums yelling at you. That'd be yeah. great. But that get on there and get get Tuttle a cameo for crying out loud. Help the brother out. Yeah, somebody hook me up just to let me feel like I'm, you know, heading into my uh, my my uh, 
I don't know, the twilight of my life with some sort of celebrity here from a podcast. Hey, uh, so the second subject, and maybe we can lead this into uh, Blum and Blummer, because you mentioned before you didn't have great topics, but I I think we had three really good topics today. I'm just going to throw this one out there. Last uh, podcast, we discussed pretty extensively the changes to the ball, and you mentioned the article in The Atlantic, which I got to read afterward, and it's like, all right, smoother surface, you know, uh, the center core is much more, uh, you know, solid and uniform. And now they've got the late, the laces, they reduce the uh, height of the seam, all of that stuff. And I guess it's more of a question, but to me now, now that you mentioned that, the fact that now MLB owns Rawlings, they made seven or eight changes to the baseball without really consulting anybody that plays at the highest level especially pitchers, which got me chapped. Um, you know, I watched, Garrett, I, I watched Garrett Cole punch out 13 the other night, and, the, you know, you guys commentating, uh, I think it was Eschenfelder and not TK the other night, but commenting about how great Cole was throwing the ball, and I had turned on the game late, and I'm like, man, he gave up four runs in four innings, or three innings, and he's punched out 11 at that time. And I'm like, how well can he be throwing the ball? But... It has to do with the baseball, and I'm just wondering, are we back to kind of the steroid era launching of the baseball? I was saying before, they kind of switched the lineups. It used to be like, all right, you put Conseco, Maguire, Giambi in the middle of the lineup and see who could launch a baseball. Um, You know, strikeouts, they would strike out a lot, but then, you know, the three-run homer. And then we got to like the Billy Hamiltons of the world or, you know, uh, uh, Blackman in Colorado. You get these center fielders that are fast and left-handed and scrappy and they can steal bases and kind of do it all. And now we're seeing those guys, you know, not Hamilton. Sorry. He's he, he's just a one one speed guy, one trick pony. But you have these guys that are kind of tweeners, you know, 170 pound guys that are you know, 20 to 30 home run guys with 20 to 30 steals. And you watch some of the balls that get out and you touch on it last time. These, these balls that used to be maybe 10 feet short of going out and now they're going out. We kind of have for a hitter, the best of both worlds. And for the pitcher, the worst of both worlds, you got guys that can bunt steal and scrap, and then they can hit the ball at the end of the bat and it goes out of the yard. Like, what what's going on because i could not play in this day and age i mean i couldn't even make the big leagues during the steroid era this would kill me (laughs) yeah it's it's an interesting time and yeah i've had the conversation with a couple of pitchers on the astros talking about uh the the issue with the baseball they feel that it is out there and obviously the pitchers have to adjust to it but the hitters are benefiting the most and i i use i actually funny that you bring it up I use the comparison of the steroid era because I played through the steroid steroid era. Now, the issue with the steroid era is, is that everybody had the option. You could take the steroids. You could not take the steroids. So it didn't put everybody on the same playing field. There was a definite separation between those who did and those who didn't. Obviously, there were plenty of good baseball players who took steroids and became phenomenal baseball players. There were mediocre guys that took steroids and maybe good for a year or two. Uh, or had a good couple of months there weren't really and then there were guys who didn't do it and just competed with what they had now like Tuttle is saying there's one baseball and nobody has the choice whether or not they they use it or not they don't have the option it's one baseball it's in play and we all have to learn how to play with it the mistake so that puts every hitter that steps in that box on a level playing field and that's what Tuttle is talking about is that you don't have the option 
It's just you have to pitch with that baseball and find a way to manipulate that baseball to get guys out. And if you make a mistake, it has a tendency to turn into an out. And I'm with Tuttle in the sense that I like to see good pitchers go out and pitch. And I don't want to say that Tuttle, I mean, say that Garrett Cole had a phenomenal outing and then you read the box score and it says he gave up four home runs because then you're saying, well, he had 12 strikeouts, but man, he gave up four bombs. You know, I think the home run is being diminished with this baseball. And the issue I have is the home runs that, that go 360 to 375 maybe. I think that, you know, that extra 10 or 15 feet that are on the baseball with the less drag and flying a little bit further, the, the ones that go to the warning track that, sh- that should be caught are now home runs. And if you're a fan at home watching the game, watch how many times you see a guy swing, look a little bit deflated, and watch where the outfielder goes. The outfielder has a tendency to head back. I'm seeing more guys run back on baseballs that are fairly well hit, not greatly hit, than I've ever seen in my in my playing and broadcasting career. That's the thing that really sticks out to me. And if I'm a pitcher, like Tuttle said, and I'm trying to go out there and use my wicked, nasty stuff to get 12 strikeouts, I'm going to remember the four home runs, unfortunately, and the, especially those ones that sneak out at 360, 375, because in a different era or even a year ago with a different baseball, those are caught on the warning track. It's painful. Yeah, and I, I see guys also, you were talking about the outfielder going back on the ball, but you also see guys, uh, obviously not with the bat flip, but they put their head down like, oh man, I just missed that one. And all of a sudden it's off the top of the wall or it gets over. I mean, you can you know, you know, can tell a lot about guys that have been doing this for a long time. I knew when the ball left my hand, like, uh-oh, you know, when you spin the slider up there. And I just feel like you can see both. You see the outfielders kind of overreacting by heading back, which, you know, the first step's always supposed to be back. But those guys are so good. They get a good read on the ball. This year has thrown them for a loop. And then same with the hitters. These guys have been hitting balls for 20 years, 25 years since, you know, Little League. And now they're hitting them and they're like, oh, I missed that one. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, they, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. I would say two things. One is, can we deflate the baseball a little bit, right? We'll, we'll have to ask for advice on that. And then <laughs> the other point that you brought up, people would ask me this, even in the steroid era, I wanted to face the boppers. You know, I wanted, I didn't want to face, um, you know, Ellsbury and Hamilton and these guys that were kind of left-handed and they would scrap and they would bunt and they would, you know, make stuff happen. Just give me the guy that's either going to hit it out or strike out. And if you make your pitch and, you know, you're down and away and up and in, you back them off the plate, like I'll take, eight guys that doesn't mean you won't give up some home runs or some hits but i'll take eight or nine guys that are kind of a little sluggish running that can maybe launch the ball and i'll I'll take my chances i don't want to face nine guys that are going to just wear me out they battle up there you know i don't want to face nine nobody wanted to face tony gwynn but you know guys like that that are just you know foul this one off i'm gonna foul this one off i'm gonna foul all right and then i'll hit this one out to center field like so now to my to your point and my point we're getting they're getting the best of both worlds like now you got to face like guys like that that are kind of scrappy and they they know how to put the ball in play they know how to fight it off and then all of a sudden they launch one and you're like oh no so i think that's where the frustration now as the ex-pitcher in me comes out is that great for the fans if you see a 10-9 game but as you said last well i'm gonna i'm gonna throw you under the bus i mean let me ask you the question was last night's game at uh at the uh the big a one of the best games you've ever seen <laughs> from a baseball standpoint you know it's nine to six a lot of fans can be like hey this there are a lot of runs this is a... no it's not i mean a lot of runs does not always translate to great baseball and i think that's where you know kind of like watching playoff baseball and playoff hockey 
Uh, a lot of fans jump in then, but if you're educated and you're aware of what's going on, you can you can tell when good baseball is being played and when the balls hit right and when it's pitched right, and it and it gets a little frustrating. Yeah, last night's game was not fun. That was a uh, a loss by the Astros' first game of a four game series against the Angels, where thirteen total walks, nine to the Astros, and only three of those walk came walks came around a score. So lacking the big hit was an issue, but. That's kind of it's also to the point that we're talking about here with so many home runs and to Tuttle's point about situational type hitting is that guys will come to the plate with two outs, a runner on second and third, and they're not thinking about, man, if I could just get a pitch and drive it the other way or find a gap, I'm they come up thinking, man, I'm going to take these humongous, you know, massive swings to try and go deep and hit the three run home run instead of getting the base hit and keeping the line moving. That's one of the biggest differences that I've seen, too. And as from a fan's viewpoint, one of the funniest things I saw in that uh, Texas Rangers series, because I think it was the first game, the Friday night game had nine home runs in it. And that was the game that Garrett Cole pitched in. And every time the rest of that series, a baseball was hit in the air, guess what the fans were doing? <gasps> oh, they were waiting for the ball to go out of the ballpark. So we've all just been completely, you know, just overwhelmed with home runs. So now we anticipate everything being home runs. But, uh, you know, you can say chicks dig the long ball. It's good for the game because it really brought the game back in 98, 99. But man, it, it, it's painful. And it's tough for pitchers, I would imagine, knowing that you can go out there and make good pitches with the new baseball, but you have to make every single pitch a good pitch. You cannot make a mistake because the second you, you, you lack a little bit of spin and it flutters over the plate, boom, it's gone. That's got to be the well, hard we, part. We talked about high leverage innings. It just makes more innings high leverage, right? Like somebody like Verlander and Cole, they dominate. Now every inning is a high. I watch Wade Miley pitch. I think I texted you during the game. I'm like... He got a four spot in the first inning, or no, a two spot. So you guys score two quickly against Texas, and Wade Miley makes a pretty good pitch on Chu, and he hits it out the other way, and then the next hitter comes up and smokes one, and now it's two to two. And Miley hasn't even had a chance to get his feet wet. Like It, it looked like he was throwing the ball fairly well, and that's a, that's a new kind of a new dynamic, I think, in the game. But I, I, I just – I don't know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable because everybody – was so outraged by the steroid era when they found all these guys were, you know, as you mentioned, had the choice to take it or not. And maybe it was the unlevel playing field, which I still rail against, right? Like, tell me where to take them and, you know, how healthy I can be with it. And then, you know, where, where do we sign up instead of guys taking them on the sly, basically gaining an unfair advantage. Now, as we already said, the hitters all have kind of the same advantage. But, man, it takes the Scherzers, the Verlanders, the Coles, who really are the best pitchers in the game, regardless of what baseball it is, and it makes their innings way more high leverage. I mean, do you think Verlander likes punching out, or Cole likes punching out 13 guys and giving up four runs? No. I'll take seven punch outs, a couple ground balls, and, like, one run. So, anyway, I think both topics today, we beat them to death, but uh, hopefully hopefully they create some insight and some thought for uh, for our listeners out there. No, exactly. That's what it's all about. And the reason we're beating those topics up is because they're important. They're important to the game. Tuttle played the game. He enjoys it. Uh, we both want to see the you know baseball moving in the right direction, but there is definitely a different generation of baseball out there that has encouraged the home run and the, the uppercut and the, you know, Swings and miss don't mean anything to hitters anymore. And, you know, being that good professional hitter 
that that idea of a good professional hitter has changed a little bit, but uh, they're good topics. And we are going to move on a little bit. It's going to be a little bit different podcast. We're going to run through uh, Blum and Blummer real quick. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. And I'm going to have a quick one. I actually just thought of this because, uh, you know, Tuttle was talking about some of the replays on pitches. And mine is just with players and the replay situation. We live in a day and age where baseball plays can be reviewed. We know this. I know this. Tuttle knows this. Everybody at home knows this. Um, so my, my, my request to Major League Baseball players right now, stop asking your bench to replay that. They're going to replay it. We know that every play is going to be replayed. Literally, every tag play, every play at first, every play at any base around there, every foul ball, every home run is going to be looked at. So when you have a bang-bang play and you tag the guy and you pop up, don't point to the dugout. <laughs> I'm over it now. It's so pass. It's like every time a wide receiver gets, you know, hit before the ball is thrown to him and he pops up and he, you know, he makes the motion of throwing the flag in the air. If it was a pass interference call and they felt it was that way, it's going to be called. So now next season when we go into the NFL, every guy, instead of reaching for his hip and fake throwing a flag up, they're going to be pointing to their head coach going, man, go to the replay. He, he you know, he pass interfered with me. Um, it, but that's just one of the small pet peeves that I've developed here calling some of these games is watching every single tag play, every play at first base. Point to the dog. Like, oh, you guys better review that. I'm doing a good job as a player. I got to remind my bench to replay that one. Everybody in that dugout is replaying that. My favorite thing about that comment is I I, I agree 100%. But my favorite thing about that comment is that um, I would love to see see the statistic on how often they're right because like we always know, like no that didn't hit me yeah it hit me I mean the guy on the in us all go NFL first the guy that's like I caught it I caught it caught it I bet ninety percent of the time it's no catch I mean they show it hit the turf like he may think so he caught it or he may have thought he caught it but to your point like you're in the game you're you're you know your adrenaline's going you know you felt the ball the way it should be you don't know if it hit the turf or not i bet they're wrong like 90 percent of the time i was watching again the astros broadcast because my favorite guy blummer's there uh odor did it the other day to straw was it straw yeah i mean instantly before like because the throw did beat him oh no it was uh it was andrus no that's exactly the play i'm thinking about no you're exactly right it was a throw Uh, jordan alvarez but right away he's like right away to the dugout and it wasn't even close like the the tag was in the air and then he tagged him and he never came off the bag like first of all they're gonna review it which is your point they're gonna review it but you're in the you're in the throes of the you know the the intense moment like he was wrong they're wrong i i guarantee you when those guys do the fake flag or they're like review it and then same with basketball it's this this is the universal sign under two minutes right they do the and then the referee does this so as soon as something happens it hits a guy's shoe they're like you know that every guy in the court does the wee it looks like a helicopter it's like no like just I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I bet they're wrong. That would be the statistics we're going to bring to the next uh, the next podcast. How often, I'm sure somebody's looked into that, how often they ask for a review, the player on the field, and how often they're right or wrong. Because No, it's true. And, it, yeah, I hate to, I hate to be throw my, my guy, Alex Bregman, under the bus, but we actually had a running total of, I think, 0 for 10 
that he he had. And it was hilarious because it got to the point where AJ Hinch would actually comment on it. He, he, he said jokingly in one of his interviews, he goes, if Alex Bregman ever asks me again to review a play, I'm not going to replay it because he has not gotten one right in his career. So yeah, there, that I am with you in the sense that a lot of those uh, that players request would not be overturned. Uh, but uh, that, that's been a good one. We try and end on a little bit lighter note uh, because we hit so many good topics. Tuttle really brought it again on what will Tuttle say. We appreciate you hanging out with us, but we also appreciate the first responders and all those in the military uh, protecting the coastlines. We saw the Coast Guard make a hell of a recovery on a, a, a drug submarine. I'm not sure if you caught that video, but if you do, Google it because – Man, that Coast Guard, man, somebody snuck off that boat like a badass and just tried to beat the hell out of that sub until it opened up. And he got in there and they, you know, find out there's whatever, $6 billion worth of cocaine in there. But those guys are doing a good job. So kudos to the Coast Guard for making that happen and all military out there protecting our borders and keeping us safe out here so that we can do a podcast. And obviously all the first responders and uh, policemen, firemen, EMTs out there, we appreciate everything you guys are doing. And uh, we always love giving you a shout out on our podcast. Tuttle, finish this off, man. What do you got? Oh, I just want to say, Blummer, it's a pleasure to be in the same county as you. Welcome back to Orange <laughs> County. Good thing you don't have any ticket requests because you don't know anybody here in Orange County. And uh, I'll, look cool. forward to, <laughs> I'll look forward to uh, – getting together with you here and maybe we can impress the uh podcast people uh the podcast listeners that we actually do know each other and we are we're in the same town so anyway but uh gonna, yeah yeah go ahead no i'm gonna put a lot of pressure on people if you make a cameo request in the next uh two days i will make sure that tuttle is on that cameo with me Ooh, there you go you do a lot of cameos like 10 a week i mean you're raking in the dough aren't you no i'm kidding <laughs> The celebrity status bit. of Blummer, but yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll, we'll make it happen. Uh, no golf this time. You guys come back to town again, don't you, at, before the end yeah. of the year? No, we actually right. finished off the season. It'd be nice to take a couple of days at the end of the season kind of hang out with everybody down here and reconnect and play out, go out there and play golf. would be a lot of fun. Uh, good job today on the podcast, Tuttle. We will get back at you hopefully next week, but uh, as we always say, we want you to get after it, but most of all, we want you to believe it. Believe it. The red It filters through